So it's Galatians 4, 4 to 7 we're focusing on. This is the middle layer of the cake. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And I want to add to that a a verse as well from Romans 8, 14 to 11 that you'll see goes with it. Romans 8, 14 to 11, Paul writes, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And so the three characteristics of adoption that I want to sort of draw out for us this morning are this, is first of all that our adoption was planned. The first thing that Paul wants us to see here is that it was God who acted. He says in Galatians 4.4, he says, but when the fullness of time came, It was on the date that was set by the Father. It was when the fullness of time came that God sent forth his Son. And so God planned the time. God planned the action that he would take. Our adoption was planned by God, and he took the initiative to send his Son. If I'm a foreign slave, to use Paul's illustration here for the people that are listening or reading this letter, if I'm a foreign slave in a Roman culture, there's no initiative that I can make to force my way into a Roman family or into Roman citizenship. Okay, If I'm an Ethiopian slave or I am a, uh, a European slave or I am some sort of slave in the Roman Empire, as Paul's using as an illustration here, or a, house, a bond servant of a household, I can't take any initiative to change my status. Okay, unless a father in that household sets his eye on me and by his initiative purposes to set me free as a slave and then adopt me as a son, I can't be a part of his family. I'm just a foreigner, not a citizen, and I'm a slave, and there's no initiative I can take. And so the first thing here is that we understand that this adoption by God is on his initiative. He chose the time when he would send forth his son to redeem us in order to adopt us to make us his. Paul says God did set his eye on us and God did take the initiative to rescue us. If we look in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says it this way. In verses 4 to 6 of Ephesians 1, he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so we can only gloss over the significance of those verses in Ephesians 1 because they're incredible. But for our purposes today, you know what we have to see that is all of the planning and initiative was on God's side. When it comes to adoption, it was God's planning, it was God's initiative. Before the foundation of the world, before creation, before Adam, before Eve, before the fall, God had already planned that we would receive his blessing through Jesus. There's some profound implications to that. That God planned 
to know us even in our sin. That He knew that Jesus would be required to redeem us before even the fall in the garden. It means that God knew you personally, knew you today. It means God chose you before you could choose Him. He chose you before time even began, before you had a chance to act. It means God saw you when you were still far from Him. It means, most significantly, that the cross was not plan B, but the cross was plan A. The price that God knew that He would have to pay to adopt you he knew from before the foundation of the world. Okay, It wasn't that we fell and God said, oh, that was a mistake, now I've got to come up with some other plan. God knew the plan from the beginning. It was plan A that God would adopt you in this way. He purposed by his will that our adoption would be through Christ Jesus. And he knew exactly what his adoption would cost. So it was planned, God knew. And that leads us to the second part, is that the other characteristic of our adoption is that it was costly. If you continue in Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. This adoption comes through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians, Paul says adoption is through Jesus. In Galatians 4.4, God sent forth His Son. Jesus had to come. The cross had to happen for this adoption. I was looking it up online For the purpose of this illustration, I was just thinking, how much does it cost, you know, to have a kid? And they say a child born in 2015 will cost an average of about $213,000 to raise to the age of 18. Okay, so parents keep that in mind. $213,000 to raise one child to 18. Sounds low, low. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's some that cost a lot more. But then if you're actually talking, that's not even adoption. If you're talking about going and adopting a child that isn't yours, that you don't get for free, okay, you got to go and spend anywhere from thirty dollars to $60,000 just to adopt, depending on the country you're adopting from and the process you have to go through and the travel and the courts and all of that stuff. So there's another thirty dollars or $60,000 on top of that to just get the adoption done. That's a lot of red ink on the balance sheet, right? That's a a lot of red ink on the bank statement. But when God, before time, looked forward to us, to the children that are in slavery to sin and the curse of this world, the cost to redeem us and to make us God's own was not red ink. It was blood. Right? It was the red of his own son's blood. That was the cost to adopt. This adoption that God does is costly. A price had to be paid for our rebellion. A price had to be paid for our law-breaking. A righteous and just God, as J.I. Packer says, it's, it's, it's good to be made right before a just God. Right? A just God can't wink at sin. He can't simply pretend that our violence and greed and arrogance and hurtfulness has never happened. If God simply ignored our sin, then he would not be a just God. And so we had to be legally and righteously redeemed from the penalty of our sin by the blood of Jesus on the cross. A price had to be paid in order for God to be just. And it's good to be made righteous before a just God. And so we're glad that he paid that price. 
Galatians 4, 5 says that Jesus came so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Redemption means a price paid for something. It had to be done, and we talked about this redemption last week, so I won't go more into that point again other than just to say that this redemption had to take place and that this redemption had to happen before we could be adopted. Verse 5 and 6 later on in Galatians 4, Jesus came It says, Jesus came so that we could be redeemed. And then verse concludes, so that we might receive adoption. Okay, there's an order to it. This redemption had to happen in order for us to be redeemed, or to be adopted. We couldn't be adopted until the redemption happened. The price had to be paid, and then the adoption could follow. You can't get it out of order that we might receive the adoption of sons. We don't enter into God's family until our sins have been dealt with on the cross. The good news is that Jesus was willing to pay that price, that your sins can be covered by his sacrifice, but until we confess, until we repent, until we actually turn to Jesus and have his cross work redeem us from our sin, then we cannot be adopted. Your sin stands between you and God's adoption until you turn to Jesus and let him pay that price. So the planning had to happen. God planned our adoption. And it was his initiative that had it happen. And our adoption was costly. There was a price that had to be paid for us to receive this adoption. And the third characteristic is that our adoption, and it leads to this sort of third characteristic or this third implication, is that our adoption was out of very serious circumstances. I mean, this is the reality when you think about adoption and, and uh, is that when you're adopting somebody, you're usually in a sense, rescuing them out of dire straits, out of dire circumstances. And our adoption is no different. different. Even even this word, huotithomai, this word that Paul uses for adoption, it's a compound of son and place. And it means the full placement as a son, making one who is not a son and giving them the position of the son. And understand this, God didn't have to give Paul this word here, adoption, Huotithomai. It's, it's actually a really rare word. It doesn't have a Hebrew equivalent in the Old Testament at all. It's not even used very often in Greek outside of the New Testament until after the time of Paul's letters. There's some linguists and scholars who actually believe Paul might have invented this word because you don't find it outside of the New Testament. Very rarely until you get into the 80s and 90s AD in Greek. But it's interesting and significant here that God has given Paul this word to use in terms of adoption because there already is language for our childhood with God in Scripture. He could have stayed with the existing language of new birth and regeneration. We already have that in the Gospels and in Paul's other letters. Or in John, John 1, 12 to 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so it's interesting because God has already given us an illustration. He's already given us a picture and a reality of who we are as his children, which is new birth. He has already told us what our potential family relationship is with him. And that's all Paul could have said here, is just to talk about being part of God's family. Is he could have gone back to this new birth or regeneration language, but he didn't leave it at that. By the leading of the Holy Spirit here, Paul goes beyond the illustration of just new birth into the image of adoption. God doesn't just describe his children as born of the Spirit, but also legally adopted out of ugly and hostile conditions like slavery 
and that's important, right? Because when we have, when a child is born into our family, they're just naturally part of our family. When they're born into our family, we're not rescuing them or redeeming them from some circumstance, but by its very nature, Paul brings us from new birth language into adoption language because there's something significant here that God wants us to see. That it's not just that we're born and have new birth, like a cute little baby, but that we're actually adopted out of dire circumstances. That we are foreign to him and he brings us into his family as foreigners who need rescuing. And that's significant in so many ways, right? Adoption means rescuing out of another circumstance. It means transferring from one state to another, from one family to another, from one situation to another, even from one inheritance to another. As a child who's adopted, you move from one place to another place. And the problem why the birth analogy isn't complete is because we are not born into God's family. Right? We are not born as innocent and virtuous law keepers, but as law breakers. And worse, we are born as slaves to the elementary principles of this world. And so when God, by his own initiative, looked for us, understand this, when God planned this adoption, and when he was out looking for children to adopt in the future, before the foundation of the world, God does not open up his door and find us as irresistible bundles of joy wrapped in pink or blue on his doorstep. Right? That's not the babies that God found. We were not some precious little bundle that we couldn't resist, that God couldn't resist. When he went out looking for children to adopt in the future before the beginning of time, he has to go out looking for us in a fallen world. And he finds us as children who are rebellious and who are sinful, who are lawbreakers, who are slaves under bondage, and who most of the time shake our fist at him. And he says, those are the ones I'll adopt. So understand this characteristic of adoption. Later on in Ephesians 2, 3, Paul says, we were by nature children of wrath. God did not look forward in time and say, look at those beautiful children. I'm going to adopt some of them. He looked forward in time and he saw rebellious slave-bound children. And he said, I'm going to move them from their family into my family. And I'm going to pay the price it costs to move them from that family into my family and receive my inheritance. And so God, finding us as foreigners and as slaves, alienated even by his own justice and holiness, God still loved us. And he still sent his son to die for us so that we can become not just justified, not just counted righteous, but also brought into his holy family as brothers and sisters to Jesus and equal heirs of his promise. Right? And I, and I think now you're starting to see, I hope, that's why I started with that quote, I, I hope you're starting to see why J.I. Packer held such a high view of the doctrine of adoption, right? He said, he said it's good to be counted right before a just God, but oh, so much even better to be loved and accepted and cared for by God. So these three truths about our adoption have at least three implications to us as Christians and then, and then one implication or application to us as a church. The three results for us of our adoption is, first of all, that adoption provides us with a present experience of intimacy. Adoption grants us acceptance and love from God. If you continue in Galatians 4 where we are, it says, Because you are sons... 
Because you are sons, now that you are adopted, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Or as we read in Romans 8, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading you to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. As Packer said, to be right with God is a great thing, but to be loved is far greater. And if we allow the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to redeem us and and, and then we become sons or we become children of God and then in becoming children of God, since we are sons, we then receive the Holy Spirit which gives us a present day experience of knowing the Father and knowing that we are loved and accepted by God. Paul says there in Galatians, he says, from our heart we cry, Abba, Father. And I know many of you know the root of that Aramaic word, Abba. Right? But it's interesting that Paul quotes it here and in Romans verbatim. He doesn't translate it. It's an Aramaic word and he's talking to a Greek audience. Okay? He's, he's talking to people who read Greek and yet he leaves Abba transliterated from the Aramaic exactly as it is. And there's a reason for that. In Mark 14:36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going to his hour, to his appointed time on the cross. And while he is there praying in Gethsemane, as the disciples are nearby listening, he prays like this. He says in Mark 14:36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so Paul knows, and I think this has been passed on by the disciples, that this is the way Jesus spoke to the Father. No other Jewish rabbi ever would have prayed this way. Okay, you have to understand this, that to call God Abba was unheard of among the Jewish rabbis. Because Abba means Dada. It means Daddy. And this is the phrase here that Paul keeps intact for the church and for us to remember that we have this spirit of Jesus that gives us this brotherly and sisterly standing beside Jesus so that when we have the Holy Spirit, he cries out from our heart, Abba, Father, just like Jesus prayed. And so this adoption, what happens is and what it provides for us, it grants us acceptance and love from God right now. The experience of God's love by His Spirit is something that we get right now today. Experientially, our spirit is able to reach out to God in this tender and intimate way. And if you're a Christian here today, you know, whether you're praying with your eyes closed and Lord, or whether you pray with your eyes uplifted, however you pray, you can call out to God and you can say, Daddy. Right? If you're a Christian here today, you can say, Daddy, I need help. Daddy, teach me something today. Daddy, just hold me. When you have the Spirit of God in you, you can pray that way. And if you're a Christian sitting here today, you know that you can pray that way. Right? You can do it right now. You can just, you can just look to God and you can just say, Dad. Okay, a- atheists don't have a spirit that talks to God like that, right? Agnostics don't have a spirit that allows them to pray to God that way. They don't, they don't pray to God like that. Naturalist, postmodern, secular humanists never talk to God that way, right? There are people out there, and in their spirit, they can't, they can't relate to that at all. But Paul says, if you've been adopted, if you have the spirit of God in you, then you know, Christian, you know what I'm talking about, because you can say, Daddy, and you know in your spirit that you're talking to dad. It's one of the ways that we know that we are Christian, that we have his spirit. 
that we really are his children. It's not the only way we know, but it's one of the ways he knows. In Romans, Paul says in that section, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. The Holy Spirit is in us as Christians and gives us a present-day affection and care and intimacy with God. And we have the assurance of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, not by some spectacular gift or not by some peculiar sign, but Scripture says we have the assurance of the Holy Spirit because there is this quiet inward witness of the Spirit of God as you pray that you can say, Daddy. As you pray and you worship God, your spirit just knows that he's your father. Christianity is not purely intellectual. It's not just agreeing with some sort of external philosophical truth. Christianity is experiential. And this is where Paul's getting to the heart of what adoption means to us as Christians. It means that we have this relationship with God. But there's a second thing that our adoption grants us. Adoption grants us a new, new family traits. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In other words, as, as you are being walking through life led by the Spirit, that's another affirmation that you are the Son of God. This family Spirit of God leads us. It transforms us. As Christians in the present-day reality uh, of adoption is that we are moved from our family of origin into a new family of God. And, and just like any other adopted child, from the day they move into their new family home with brothers and sisters and parents, that, that by the spirit of that family, it begins to take hold on them in terms of their mannerisms, right? And in terms of the, the ethical and moral traits of that family, they just start to behave the way that you should behave in that family. You know, there was a way that we used to do things in our old family, but then there's a way that we do things in the new family. And this is where you see the Spirit of God at work in adoption and what we call sanctification or our transformation from an old way of the flesh to the new way of the Spirit. And maybe your house is like that. Maybe some of your own children haven't quite adopted the Spirit of your family yet, and you're still in that training phase of, in this household, this is what we do. Right? You may have done that somewhere else, or you have kids from other families who come over, and they start behaving in a different way because they're from different families, but when they're visiting for a, a weekend or whatever, you have to explain to them that, listen, in this family, in this house, this is how we do things. And the spirit of God's adoption does the same thing for us. We're adopted in so that we can say, Daddy, but then we're also part of a new family with a new way of doing things. And God starts to work on your heart and he starts to say, you maybe used to do stuff in your old family that way, but this is now how we do it in our family. Maybe that's how you used words in your old family of the world, but that's not how we use our words. Maybe this is how you dealt with conflict in the world in your old fleshly family, but this is how we deal with conflict in the family of God. This is how you encouraged or discouraged people in your old family, but in this family we do it a little bit different. Right? And that's the family of God. That's the Spirit of God at work in you saying, you're adopted now into God's family, and there's a way that God's family does things. And they don't do it the way your old family did. You have to learn the new way. And adoption grants us those new family traits, and you start to see a change in the way you do everything. There's an old way that we handled money, and now there's a new way we handle money. There's an old way we dealt with success in our life. And now there's a new way we dealt with success. There's an old way that we dealt with failure. And now there's a new way that we deal with failure. Right? There's an old way that we used to show love to people. And there's a new way now that we show love. In a thousand different ways by his spirit of adoption and through the gospel, God is teaching us to be part of a new family. To be set free from the old family that we weren't a part of and become part of a new family. 
And there's another whole sermon just on that topic. But just remember that in scriptures and in church and in God's family, by the Holy Spirit, we're all being taught a new way to relate to each other and a new way to relate to the world because we're all brothers and sisters who have been adopted now into a new family. And there's a new way to do things. And so if a brother or sister comes up to you sometimes and says, you know what, like I was listening to you talk the other day and I just want you to know that that might be the way you used to talk, but now that you're part of our family, God's family, we don't talk that way anymore. You know, let me show you how Jesus talks. You know, let me show you how we do it. You know, or I saw you, or you told me about how you spent your money the other day on this stuff, and, you know, maybe you used to spend money that way, but let me show you how we actually prioritize money in our family now. Like, just understand that you're part of a new family, and that's going to happen, okay? Because you've been adopted into a family, so you're my brothers and sisters, whether you like it or not. (laughs) And I come to all the family reunions, okay? So... The third thing that adoption grants us, just two more points, the third thing that adoption grants us is a future inheritance. We have a present intimacy with God, and we have a present transformation by the Spirit in our new adopted family, but we are also granted a future inheritance. Galatians 4, 7 says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. God's intent was not just to redeem us from slavery so that we could wander on our own. He redeemed us so that we could be his children and inherit the estate of Jesus. We're joint heirs with the Son. Jesus is our elder brother. God sent his Son so that we, through his Son, he could have other sons and daughters. Romans 8.23 says, And not only this, but we also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so you're saying, wait a minute, Paul. You said we were adopted, and now you say we're eagerly waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. There's a present-day experience of our adoption. There's a present-day adoption into the family, but then there's also a future expectation of our adoption as well. The legal reality of our redemption from slavery is the first part, and then there's the experience of the Spirit poured into us so that we can actually pray to Father as Daddy and mean it and feel it and to be, start to take on the family resemblance. All that is the present-day reality of adoption, but that's not all. That Paul says here we're also waiting for this future reality of our adoption. That this resemblance that we have and this intimacy with God isn't complete until we come into our full inheritance that there's a future expectation that we will eventually become full inheritors with Jesus, the immortal, imperishable, resurrection body by which we'll spend eternity in the presence of God. This is the promise of God that we inherit as his sons and daughters. So this adoption thing is important because it's all those characteristics and then it's all these things that it grants us and I'm just hitting on three and there's a lot more. But this adoption doctrine is so precious that God would look forward to us as children and bring us out of slavery into his family so that we could call him daddy, so that we could be conformed by his family into the image of his son so we start to behave like members of that family and then so that we can then inherit a future inheritance because of that adoption which is right alongside Jesus Christ in eternity. We're no longer slaves but sons and if we're sons then family and we're for family then we are heirs and we inherit so those are the three implications for us personally for you sitting here today you have all three of those things real in your life if you're adopted into god's family and have been through jesus christ but there's one implication that i want to finish on just an application to us as a church as a whole 
That if this is the heart of God, if this doctrine is the reality, that God is an adopter, right? Not just a new birth and he has, you know, beautiful babies of his own that he wants to bring up because they're his and they're so beautiful, but he actually goes out and gets ugly, sinning, slave-bound foreigners and adopts them into his family. If the true heart of God that he wanted to get across with this picture of adoption for us is then that we as a church then need to start to have that heart of God. Doesn't it mean that? That we have to start to foster a culture of adoption even here at Lakeside. That we are adopted and so therefore we adopt others. Not just children. I'm not just talking about that. Adopting kids is awesome and fostering kids, fantastic. But adopting not just children, but adopting the aged, adopting the marginalized, adopting the wayward, adopting the lost, the enslaved, the trapped. We adopt any and all who the culture says, you're dead to us. How can we find a way to get you out of our lives and marginalize you? Because the culture we live in is not a culture of adoption, okay? The culture we live in is a culture of abortion, right? The culture we live in is a culture of marginalizing. Let's get our old people as far away from us as we can. Let's stop young people from coming into our lives. Let's just have our life lived exactly the way we want it and not interfered with by any of the marginal. And God's heart is the opposite of that. It's complete reverse. He says, bring me the marginal. Bring me the children. Bring me those who are not part of any other family. I'll make them part of my family. And so the application to us as a church then is that's what we have to foster here at Lakeside. We have to foster a culture of adoption that says we will take any and all that anyone is welcome to join our family. In fact, fact, specifically, the most marginalized are welcome to our family. And that's a hard culture to create. First of all, because everything in the world is telling us not to create that culture, to just be, you know, have your perfect life for you and keep everybody else out of it. But it's also hard because it's not just asking how people are doing in the lobby. It's also bringing them home for lunch. It's not just praying that someone will find work. It's helping them find a job or even giving them a job. Maybe giving them your job. It's doing unto others, not even what we would do for ourselves, but doing unto others what we would do for our brothers or sisters in our own family. Think about it. You've got a brother or sister or a niece or a nephew or a grandchild in your family who needs something, what would you do for that grandchild or that nephew or that brother? And God says, you're part of an adopted family now. A culture of adoption says, we'll do that for each other. Anybody who's a part of our family, we would do for them anything we would do for a member of our family. And we can say it, but then we have to live it. Not just by being friendly or not just by being joyful or not just even by being hospitable. Those are a good start. But then we have to actually be adoptive. That The people that come into our church, the people that come into our lives, we have to bring them into our family and love them like our own because God has loved us like his own. That's the culture we have to adopt as a church. Let's pray. Father God, this is incredible doctrine, this reality that we're adopted that we were not just born or even left on your doorstep as cute little bundles of joy that you couldn't resist, but in fact, we were wayward, rebellious, slave-bound sinners that you looked forward in time and chose to love us and to give us this spirit of adoption through your son that we could call you daddy, 
that we could be transformed into the likeness of your family. That we would have a future inheritance. So Father, that is a hard implication for us. That if we're adopted with a love like that, if that's what the family spirit is, then that spirit should be within us. And so we here at Lakeside, as every Christian sitting here, should have this spirit of adoption in our hearts that says, everyone's welcome. We'll rescue you. We'll take you in. We'll be more than just friendly and hospitable. We'll make you a brother or a sister. And we'll love you like family. That's the challenge of your Holy Spirit on our hearts this morning, Lord. So as we gather around this communion table as family, I pray that you would make it real to each and every one of us how to live out this spirit of adoption. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.